I want every young person to lift your hands. And as you're lifting your hands, I want you to begin to lift your voice and give God praise. Without a worship team telling you what to do, without a song coaching you along. Come on, I want to I hear you lift your voice. Come on, that's it a little bit louder. Come on, lift your voice. We love you, Jesus. I want you to hear me, guys. Sunday night, I stepped up to the pulpit to preach back at home. And just casually, I said, Jesus is here. And immediately, God spoke to me and said, if you really think I'm here, is that all that you've got for me? He said, Drew, have you become so spoiled that when I come into a room, it doesn't even bother you? I would say right now, if I said the President of the United States just walked in the back door, everybody would turn and have a reaction. But have we become so spoiled? Because every time we come together, because we are His people, He comes. But has it become so common that He comes in and we sit there unmoved and unbothered? And as they begin to sing that last song, that's why the Spirit of God hit me. And I I had no choice but to fall because... Uh, you're just going to have to forgive me. I'm still a new convert. I've only had the Holy Ghost for eight years, but I don't ever want to get over the fact that when He shows up, come on, I want Him to know that when you show up, God, I'm going to respond because you are worthy. So when we say that Jesus is here, I want to know, are you thankful that He's here? Somebody say amen. I'm thankful that we feel the presence of God. I don't want to get used to it. I don't want it to become commonplace. But I want it to move me when I feel His glory. I'm not going to keep you standing much longer. I know you've been standing now for a little while. If you have your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 4. If you brought your Bible tonight, I want you to raise your hand. Not your cell phone, but your Bible. Let's give these people a hand. Some of us are still holding on. Most of the time, if you ask a young person, did you bring your Bible, they go, they got me covered. But I give honor to Pastor Stevenson and his family. Don't we appreciate this wonderful pastor in this church? Thank you for having this. And I'm going to echo what he said about Brother Chase and his family and everybody that made this possible. Thank you so much. I know it took a lot of hard work. And also, as he already said, my good friend, Brother Devin, your sectional youth director, I promise you, you got one of the best. I tell him that all the time, and he says, you probably tell that to everybody. I say, well, I mean it when I tell it to you. He's doing a great job leading this section. 
And Brother Hawthorne, your presbyter, you're a great man, and I appreciate you taking out time to be here with us. And we thank God for you, Elder. And two, my best friend in the whole world, she came with me tonight. I love and appreciate my wife. And I'm thankful I didn't marry somebody like David did, who looked through the window and said, why is he acting like a fool? But I promise you, after your decision to live for God, hear me, young person, this is free. Your next biggest decision is going to be who you're going to marry. And if you marry, guys, the wrong girl, you'll have a long life. But if you marry a good one, it'll be the best life you've ever had. And girls, you don't have to marry a loser. That's not God's will. If he's not at the altar, he's not for you tonight, okay? Just check him off. If he's trying to be the first one to get the nachos and play ball, yep, he's not going to make the list. Because who you marry matters. Do you believe that? And so I'm so thankful that I married a wonderful, wonderful woman. And to my pastor, he's not here. Pastor Houston, I give him honor. I appreciate him so much. 2 Samuel chapter number 4 and verse number 4. It says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass that she was trying to go in a hurry that he fell and became lame. So what that means is that she dropped him and it crippled him. And his name was Mephibosheth. I want everybody to give that a try. One, two, three. Sounded good. Second Samuel chapter 9, I'm going to read quick, verses 1 through 4. It said, And David said, David was the king of Israel. He said, Is there any left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. Everybody say Ziba. And when they called him unto David, the king said, Are you Ziba? He said, Yes, I am. In verse number 3, the king said, Is there any that are left out of the house of Saul? In other words, are any of Saul's relatives still alive? And Ziba said, well, yes, he did have a son, and he didn't even bother mentioning his name. He said he was lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, talking to Ziba, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. Look at your neighbor and say, where's that at? I don't know either, so if you find out, let me know. So in this text, we're introduced to three people, King David, Ziba, and Mephibosheth. So for the next few moments, and I've already set my timer, I promise you I'm not going to keep you long. The better you respond, the shorter I preach, so just kind of make a mental note of that. But I want to preach to you on two simple words. Everybody say, leaving, load a bar. I want you to look at somebody in closing and say, you look great tonight, and you may be seated. You didn't actually have to say you may be seated. I was telling you that, but you guys are doing a great job with participation. How can I tell this is going to be a fun night? In our opening text, we read about a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Aren't you thankful that your mom didn't name you that? Can you imagine having to spell that out all of the time? Or could you imagine having a substitute teacher 
going down the roll, and she said, Mephip, Mephip, are you here? But at this time that I read this text, David was the king of Israel. Ziba, the man we read about, was a servant of Saul, and Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. Before Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, died, David made a covenant or a promise to him, and he said, I promise you, I will always look after your family. David was the young, beloved hero that defeated Goliath, as Brother Chase already said. Jonathan happened to be the son of the current king, whose name was Saul. Saul was the king of Israel before David. Everything was going great until Saul felt threatened by the potential of David. Saul's pride made him insecure. Therefore, he felt like it was his lot in life to kill David. Saul wanted to kill him, but Jonathan protected David. Jonathan always looked after David, so David said, it doesn't matter what happens to you, I'll always look after your family. And now you fast forward, and David is the king of Israel. And with David as king, Israel is doing great. It is now 10 times bigger than it has ever been. 15 to 20 years has passed, and Jonathan is now passed away. Him and Saul both died on the same day. But David did not forget about the promise that he made to Jonathan when he said, I promise you I will take care of your family. And that is where we pick up in the text we read where David said, is there anybody left of Jonathan's family? And that's when Ziba said, well, yes, there is one who is lame on his feet. His name is Mephibosheth. And David said, I've made a covenant with his father. I want you to go get him. And I'm going to read it again. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. You can read along on the screen. And David said, is there, is there anybody left? of the house of Saul. I want to show him kindness. And he said that there was a servant of Saul, and his name was Ziba. Everybody say Ziba. And David said, Ziba, is there anybody left of this house, this house of Saul, this house of Jonathan, that I may show the kindness of God to? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan has a son, but he is lame on both of his feet. Now I want you to notice, if you would leave that verse on the screen, Ziba did not even mention his name. All he mentioned was his deformity. Ziba did not even acknowledge that he was the firstborn of a royal family. All that he mentioned was what was wrong with Mephibosheth. The name Ziba means statue, which is something that is built to memorialize the past. It's still, it's stiff, it's dead, it's doing nothing. So I want to preach to a young person. Don't let the Zibas of this world identify you by what's wrong with you. Because you've got to know it doesn't matter what's wrong with you. You are the child of the king. Ziba will always try to define you by your deformity instead of your destiny. But you must realize that they're just statues. You know what drops on statues. Because the people that usually criticize are not operating in their calling. But I want you to notice in verse 4 what the king said back. And the king said unto him, where is he? Notice the king did not ask, how did he become handicapped? Notice the king did not ask about the defects. Notice the king did not say, well, is there anybody else left of the house that you know normal? The king just said, where is he at? 
Because the king was not worried about his problems. The king was worried about his presence. Stop letting the zippers in the world identify you with what's wrong with you and realize that there is a God that's wanting to know where are you at. There's always going to be people that try to put a label on you. Well, you know who that young man, he has a troubled past. You know that young lady, she's got a troubled past. But I've learned that God isn't worried about my problems. He wants to know, will you get into my presence? And the Bible says that David finds out that Mephibosheth is living in Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. And David said, this is the firstborn son of a royal family. Why is he living in Lodabar? And the Bible said that David sent a servant and he went to get him from Lodabar. And it's important. I, I like to study what words mean in this, its original text because it brings a lot more clarity sometimes if you just kind of do a little bit of digging. And if you were to look up what the word Lodabar means, it literally means this. A place of no pasture. A barren place with no purpose and no potential. It is a place where nothing was being born, but it was dead. It was lifeless, and it was useless. It was a place where Mephibosheth was just going to sit there until he died, never making a difference in his world. And Mephibosheth would have died in Lodabar, but there was a king calling for him. I'm thankful that God is still willing to call people like me out of Lodabar. Come on, God could have left me exactly where I was, but I'm thankful in his love. He said, no, you don't belong in Lodabar. You belong in my presence. I would have died in Lodabar, never making a difference. But thank God, I had a Savior that was willing to say, I see potential in him. I want you to hear me, young person. It's not the will of God that you live in Lodabar for the rest of your life. It's not the will of God. That you just sit back and pray to God you make it in the rapture. I want you to make it. But God did not call us to survive the world. He called us to change it. And we can't do that if we're just sitting back praying. I hope the devil don't find me before the rapture. But you got to get bold in this spirit and realize you don't have to be afraid of him. Because greater is he who is in you. You don't have nothing to be afraid of. You are powerful. You are great. Come on, if you believe that, I want you to put your hands together. And the Bible says in verse number six that when Mephibosheth came, into the presence of David, that he fell on his face and reverenced him. And I love this part. And David looked at him and said, Mephibosheth. 
David didn't call him the crippled man. He didn't call him the handicapped man. He said, I've got so much respect for you. I'm going to call you by your name. And Mephibosheth looked at him and said, Behold thy servant. Verse number 7, David said unto him, Fear not. Now the reason this is important is because Mephibosheth was the firstborn. And if anybody could have challenged David to be the king, it would have been him. And it was custom in those days that if you were the king, you killed anybody that could challenge your throne. And Mephibosheth thought, he knows that I'm the firstborn son of a royal family. So he thought that David called him to kill him. And that's when David looked at him and said, you don't have to be afraid. I'm not going to hurt you. And the Bible says that he said, I'm going to show kindness to you for Jonathan, thy father's sake. And I'm going to restore everything that you had. And you're going to eat bread at my table continually. And Mephibosheth looked up at him and bowed himself and said, who am I that you would let me sit here? I'm just a dog. And the king called the Ziba, the man who didn't think anything of a Mephibosheth, and said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to get him some food. God used the exact person that didn't appreciate Mephibosheth to become his servant. Don't let the people that don't value your calling stop you. Because God can use you right in their face. That's why when David was out in the pasture and it was time for somebody to be anointed, his dad didn't tell him about it. All of his brothers didn't tell him about it. But the Bible said that the prophet looked at them and said, none of you are going to be the king. Is there anybody left? And they said, well, we got one other son. But you know, he's not really important. He's out in the field. And the prophet said, go get him. And he brought him in the middle of the people that didn't think anything about him and said, I'm going to anoint you right in the middle of the people that don't think you're important. Those same people that watch you get up and preach and sing and teach. Don't worry about Ziba. And what I love is that David never even mentioned his insecurity. David never brought up Mephibosheth's injury. Sometimes I wonder if God gets tired of hearing our excuses of why he can't use us. Sometimes I wonder if God says, would you stop telling me how awful you are? I want to help a young person that says, if God is calling me, then I will answer. I know I've messed up. I know I've made mistakes. I'm not proud of what I've done. But there is a God that's calling you to sit at his table. And David said, Mephibosheth, for the rest of your life, you're going to be at my table. Now listen, guys, this was a big deal. Mephibosheth went from Lodabar to luxury in just a moment. And I'm sure as he walked in with his deformity that there were people that looked at him and said, you don't belong in the king's palace. Because anytime you step out to do something for God, there's always going to be somebody watching. But here's what you got to let them know, just like Mephibosheth. I'm here because the king invited me. People cannot discredit your presence if you have an invitation. 
The only reason we're here is because there was a God that invited us in. And I don't care if you don't think I belong. You didn't call me. But here's what I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me, young person. Just because that Mephibosheth sat at the king table, it did not mean that his feet were automatically healed. It simply means that they were covered. So when he pulled up to the table and he sat there with his crippled feet, he sat there with his bad past. He sat there looking around, Pastor Stevenson, knowing I'm not as holy as everybody here. I've got some scars. They can't tell it right now, but both of my feet are messed up. They don't know what I did last summer when I told God I'd never do that. And just because he sat at the table does not mean that his feet were healed. It just means they were covered. And now nobody can tell that he was unlike anybody else at the table. That's the beauty of living for God is that when you come into the presence of God, you don't have to worry because he will cover you with his blood. And what used to be your handicap, you can't see it because I'm covered by the blood. You don't know my past because I'm covered by the blood. If you knew everything about me, you'd run up here and take this microphone away. But when I slid up to the table, I'm covered in his blood. And that's why I'm calling a young person. You belong at this table. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I want somebody to lift your hands right now. You belong at the table. And I know from what I felt in prayer that I'm preaching to a lot of Mephibosheths that are here tonight. You try to look pretty and you look nice in your suit, but on the inside, you're ashamed of what you've done. You're embarrassed about those decisions you made. And nobody can tell because you still walk right, but on the inside, you're crippled. And on the inside, you're broken. I want to let you know when you get right here, it doesn't matter what's happened because you're Yeah, you got some scars. Yeah, you've got some wounds, but you're covered. And I want to let somebody know we don't have a cult, but we've got the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, for they are covered. I know, I know that there are a room full of young people and you feel broken. Spiritually, you feel handicapped by what's happened to you. Some of you were injured and it wasn't even your fault. It's not your fault that your parents got a divorce. It's not your fault that they don't love you. But there's a God that says, I will cover you. I'll cover you because you're my child. And when you walk into my presence, they won't see your mistake. They'll see my blood. 
And I'm tired of seeing the enemy convince young people that they can't operate in their calling because of their mistakes. I'm telling you what I know in the spirit. It's not the will of God for you to live and die in Lodabar. And you're not doing what God called you to do. There's young men and women. You're not in the ministry. Not because you're not called, but because you don't feel qualified. There are young women right now. The gift of God is on you. You've got abilities and talents that can bless your local church. But every time you go to step out, the voice of shame says, you know what you did. And guess what you did? But it's the past. And there's a covering. You can be seated. I won't be much longer. The theme of this night is to represent. The scripture is... 1 Timothy 4 and 12. It's one of my favorite verses because I love young people. He says, let no man despise your youth, but be an example. It's not the will of God to you when you wait till you're 25 to sell out to God. You don't have to go out and try this and try that, but you've got an opportunity right now to be an example in your youth. But what I feel, it's not that other people are despising you, but there's a lot of young people. And when you look into the mirror, you're despising yourself. And you remind yourself how broken you are. And you remind yourself how bad you are. And you remind yourself of the mistakes you made. You clothe, you cover it up with those nice garments you've got on. But on the inside, you're so broken. And the only way you're going to get healed, if you step into the presence of God and be honest, God, I need your covering. I need you to cover me. But God sent me here to tell you, you don't have to get it all together for him to use you. God knew your tendencies when he called you. God knew your struggles when he called you. God knew your family history when he called you. God knew the mistakes you were made when he called you. But you're still called. Come on, I've come to let you know your failures are not going to be your future. And your mistakes are not going to define you. Why? Because I've got a covering. In Genesis chapter number 3, Adam and Eve were given everything in the world. Listen, guys, they only had one thing they couldn't do. And they still messed up. Give yourself a break. God said, you can have anything in this garden except for one tree. But the Bible says, when the serpent showed up and he started having a conversation, that he convinced them to do what God told him not to do. And the Bible says that they took of that forbidden fruit and that sin entered into their life and sin entered into the world. And their eyes were open. And the Bible says that verse number 8, that they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of God amongst the trees. Because this is what we do when we feel broken. We act like we can hide from God. You ever play hide-go-seek with a little kid? They're like, you can't see me. 
I'm like, bro, just because you covered your eyes up don't make you invisible. I see you. You're it. Come find me. But this is what we do. We come in church and God walks in and we're like, maybe he don't see me. Maybe God will just deal with everybody else. And we try to hide because that's what we do. But here's the amazing thing. Adam and Eve were hiding from the only thing that could help them. God was the only person that could help them. But that's what sin does. It makes you hide from the very source of salvation. And we attempt to cover ourselves. The Bible says that Adam and Eve made aprons. But if you study out what that means, it it only covered a part of their body. And they made aprons. And here was the problem with those aprons, is that when they had that covering on, there was stuff that was still revealed, and you could still see their mistakes. But here's what the Bible says in Genesis 3.21. This is the kind of God we serve. The Bible says in verse number 21 that God said unto Adam and his wife, I'm going to make you coats of skin, and I'm going to clothe you. And if you search out what that means, it's like a robe. It covers every part of your body. God told Adam and Eve, you made a mistake, and you thought I was going to kill you, and you tried to cover yourself. But the Bible says he walks out in that garden. He says, I know you messed up. I want to let you know. I want to cover you. That way when y'all look at each other, you don't see your mistake. You see the blood I just shed for you. And I'm telling a young person tonight, you got to stop looking at yourself through the eyes of judgment and condemnation. And you got to realize that there's a God. That wants to cover you up. And just as they thought that they were going to die. And their destiny was doomed. God brought a sacrifice. Because it's only by the blood that we are enabled to be what God has called us to be. We've all got crippling mistakes in our life. You can't see it right now, but on the inside, I walk with a limp. I've made some mistakes. If you were to pull off my covering of mercy, you would see all kinds of scars. But even with our covering, our deformities and our mistakes are not seen because his covering is greater than my crippling. And God wanted them to know, now when I look at you, This is what I see. And God made a a covenant with us that says, I will cover you and I will clothe you. And that's why I've come to preach some Mephibosheth out of Lodabar and let you know it's time for you to walk out of that dry and dead and lifeless place with no fruit and no ministry and no anointing and no power. The enemy will tell you, just go to the church, but don't get involved. That's not the will of God. It's time for you to leave Lodabar. Because there is a God that's calling your name. And I want you to hear me, young person. You are invited. You are chosen. You are forgiven. You are appointed. You are anointed. You are not your mistake. You are exactly who God called you to be. 
Come on, I want to preach you out of Lodabar and let you know it's not over. God's not finished with you. God's hand is still on you. He doesn't want you in Lodabar. He doesn't want you dying in barrenness. He doesn't want you dying without making a difference. I know you messed up. I know you made a mistake. I know you failed. But you belong at the table of the Lord. And I've come to let you know that there's ministry inside of Mephibosheth. And even with your crippled nature, you still got a calling. I want to just encourage a young person. There's something wrong with all of us. I know you think you're the first person to ever deal with what you're dealing with, but you're not. I know you think right now in your little world that you're never going to get through this, but you will. Because if you took off the covering, there's something wrong with all of us. But there's a God here that's saying, I want you to come to my table. And here's why you got to come. Here's why you got to come. 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 12. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And here's the reality. If you stay in Lodabar, Micah will always be in Lodabar. The reason that you've got to get out of Lodabar and you've got to operate in your anointing is because somebody is counting on you. I want to know who's that person at your school that's just waiting on you to get to the table. Who's that classmate that's waiting on you to get it right with God so you can let them know I'm leaving Lodabar and you're coming with me. I want you to stand to your feet. If Mephibosheth stays in Lodabar, Micah stays in Lodabar. But the Bible says that when Mephibosheth made his way to the king's table, that Micah got to sit there too. Who is waiting on you to leave Lodabar? Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 9 is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible because I know what this feels like. The Bible says, we read it a while ago, Adam and Eve made their mistakes. <laughs> and they heard the word from the Lord that the day that you eat it, thou shalt surely die. And I'm going to tell you where mercy came from. Because something had to die in order to take care of the sin because that's the only way to take care of it. That's when Jesus died on the cross. So we wouldn't have to. Now all we have to do is die in repentance. But this is what he said. The day that you eat it, there's going to be death. But here's what happens. The law said they had to die. But love says, I don't want them to die. And when love and law have a collision, we get mercy. 
And mercy says, I'll die for him. And that's why the Bible says that he went and got an innocent animal that, knew, that didn't do anything wrong. And Brother Hawthorne, he slayed that animal. And from that sacrifice, he got a covering. And he said, you don't have to die because there was an innocent lamb that died for you. Which is the same thing that Jesus Christ did for us. For he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Because you and I deserve to die. But he did. But here's what happened. They thought. The musicians could come. I'm wrapping up. They thought. Surely. We are about to die. And they were hiding. And they were running from God. But Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9 says, But the Lord God called unto Adam. And this is what he said. Adam, where are you? Now hear me, young person. God didn't need directions. He knows all things. He knew exactly where Adam was. But here's what happened. The Bible says that every day, at the cool of the day, the Spirit of God would move through that garden, and him and Adam would have communion. It's like what we do in prayer. And every day, at the cool of the day, God would show up. And they thought, because of the mistake they made, Surely, God isn't coming today. And if he does, surely he's going to kill us. But while Adam was hiding, God walks. He says, Adam, where are you at? I'm here for you. This is what amazes me. Is that God was willing to call him after the failure. And there's a God in here saying, young person, where are you at? I'm here. I got your covering. I've got your mercy. I'm holding up my end of the deal. I meet you here every day at the cool of the day. But where are you at? Why are you hiding from me? Even after the crippling, there was a calling. Because God doesn't stop calling because you made a mistake. But God's here. I want you to close your eyes. In the midst of Adam's sin, God said, I'm going to call you. In the midst of his struggle, God said, I'm going to call you. And some of you are wondering, why does God keep reaching for me? I'll tell you why. Because he's never going to stop. He won't quit. Why are you hiding in Lodabar? Take off your apron that you tried to make. There's a robe of righteousness that God has for you. And young person, God is calling you. 
And right now, I don't want any adults to move, strictly young person. If you are tired of living in Lodabar, not being what God has called you to be, and you say, I'm ready for God to use me, I want you to get out of your seat, and I want you to run. Come on, there's no time to play games. I want you to get out, and I want you to get to the altar as fast as you can, and I want you to come, and I want you to come to pray. You can kneel, you can stand, you can do whatever you like, but I want you to come, and I want you to hear me. It's not over.